This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And now, Ask the Expert with Steph. Hello, and welcome back to Ask the Expert on Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Steph Storr, and I'm here today with the fabulous and brilliant author, Joanna Hickson. Hello, Joanna. Welcome. Hello, all the way from England. <laughs> yes. Welcome. I'm so happy that you're here with us today. And I can, I am just bursting because I can already think of several topics I love to discuss in the future because you write just about such interesting things and people, and we'll get to all your books a little bit later. But today's, I don't know, quote, character for lack of a better word, right, is Joan, I don't know even how to say it, Vox, Vo? Do we say that? V-A-U-X, and I call her Joan Vox. Okay, Vox. I think you're allowed to choose. I I believe her brother, when he spoke of her after her, you know, uh, with other people, he called her Vance or something like that. I think there were lots of ways, you know, as as there are in, in many parts of history, pronunciations we don't really know what they were <laughs> so it doesn't matter it does right it doesn't we're, we all know who we're talking about right it's v-a-u-x yeah. say the x if you want to go for and it anyway, right most so, of history shows her as joan guilford guilford because that was her first husband not not many of our listeners are familiar with with joan uh but i know they're going to love her by the end of this so very quickly before we get into the listener questions can you tell us who who was she? Where did she come from? Where did she grow up? Was she connected at court early on? And, you know, what led her to become someone that we ultimately have this interest in? Yes, she had a, quite an interesting childhood um, because she her mother was um, a, an Italian um, called Catherine Pennison, is how the English pronounce it. But I think it's... Penisoni or Panicini or something in Italian. However, um, she was uh, born in uh, the, over the Alps from um, from uh, where her France is, but she actually ended up in France. And um, she was uh, born in Corticello, Piedmont, which had been um, annexed by the uh, Duke of Anjou. Um, and so it, it was, in fact, a French territory. But um, officially she was French, but in fact she was Italian and spoke Italian. So when she eventually married and had her child actually in Corticello, um, that, I will explain that later, but uh, she, she was speaking Italian with her first child, uh, her second child, who was Joan. Joan was born, actually, in Corticello, her mother's also birthplace, um, because her mother had had to flee from England after the Battle of Towton when uh, she and her husband um, fled because Edward the Fourth had won that battle and uh, Henry uh, VI and his wife were fleeing uh, and she fled to France and he fled within England and was later caught and taken to the Tower. So that was the first um, rule starting of Edward IV. Um, And Joan was born uh, at that time when her mother uh, fled to her own family in Corticello and um, had her child 
uh, second child because she'd already had a boy who was born in England uh, with her husband, whose name was Vaux. Um, his name was Sir William Vaux. He was a knight and he was a knight in the household of Queen Marguerite, as I called her, because there were too many Margarets in England at the time, and my book had to have clarity as to who was who. So uh, since it was quite a right, there's so many Margarets and Elizabeths and Marys. Yes. And so I, yeah, I called her name. Queen Marguerite all the way through, um, and and she wanted to keep her French uh, connections very very safely, uh, and I I also have her call her son when he's eventually born, not Edward, which he. In, officially was in England, but but Edouard in, in the French, because um, she wanted you know, Marguerite was French. So uh, anyway, have I confused everybody totally by now? No, no, no. I think that's great. But I just want to clarify one thing. Then um, uh, you mentioned them fleeing and and them being somewhat connected to the Queen. Are we to assume that that their family then was tied more to the Lancastrian cause yes. than York? Okay. Yes. Okay. So did she have, did their family have a relationship with the queen or they just kind of followed the Lancastrian? No, they, they, the, the queen um, was connected. Well, obviously came from um, Anjou and in Anjou, she had a doctor who was called Gregorio Corticelli. Um, and he was um, somebody from uh, Catherine, uh, court of, uh, whose name was Pennison, but she was also a Cortigellan. So he, when eventually when she was born and Margaret was going to England, he she was only a child, but he thought that she would be a good companion and lady sort of in waiting kind of, not a lady, but probably more of a sort of... Uh, servant really to to take to come across to England so when he came to England to to serve queen marguerite he he brought this child that he knew who'd been in um the same uh, classroom as one of uh, marguerite's uh sisters so um there was a connection there. It was quite loose, but there was a connection bef- before the marriage of Queen Marguerite to Henry VI. One thing that I had been reading is that her birth name was not necessarily Joan, as we see it, J-O-A-N. Can you clarify whether or not the name she was given at birth was actually Joan? Well, I don't know precisely. I haven't seen it in in historical research, but... She was born in Corticello in Piedmont, and um, her mother was vast Italian, really, although it was a French um, sort of uh, connection. Um, so she uh, was, I think, born as an Italian uh, because they were living in there and they didn't know if they were ever going to go back to England at the time. So um, I think that she probably uh, was called Giovanni um, after her mother, her mother's mother, so her grandmother. And I, I called her Giovanna for a short time in the book because I, I wanted to establish this Italian-French connection. Um, but when she came to England with her mother, back to England, um, she was 
serving Queen Marguerite, and she was called Joan. So although she was christened, baptised Giovanna in Italy, she was not called Giovanna in England. They called her Joan because that's the equivalent, or Joanna, actually, which is my name. So, um, But she was called Joan, and uh, I think it was possibly because she didn't look like the sort of average English rose. She was uh, dark. I mean, she wasn't obviously black-skinned or anything like that, but she was quite dark of colouring and had lovely black hair. And this was not considered beautiful by the court lovelies who in England wanted to be blonde and and sort of rosy-cheeked. So that, oh, that, that Mediterranean look that I have is is not accepted by, no, well, by that's, that's English it. court. <laughs> no, um, I don't think it was. Um, but of course, you know, she it didn't didn't really harm her in any way in the end because um, she turned out to be a, a rather a prodigious child. Um, she was a, a child prodigy, as, as they say. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. So I can go through that with uh, if you want in some detail. Um, because she um, was made a ward of Lady Margaret Beaufort. Um, on the, uh, well, she was begged, Lady Margaret was begged by Catherine Penistone, Catherine uh, Vaux, um, that she should be um, made um, a, a ward of Lady Margaret Beaufort, who she had met, um, obviously, in the court of Queen Marguerite. And um, they were good friends. Uh, she and Catherine Vaux were very good friends. And so uh, she asked her good friend, Lady Margaret Beaufort, if she would take her two children as wards. And this was when um, the, the Queen um, had fled to France and had asked her, her, her friend and, and uh, servant Catherine to go with her, and Catherine, of course, had had a degree and and uh, had to leave her children in England, and uh, so she left them with Lady Margaret Beaufort, and this was actually, as it turned out, for Joan the most, uh, well, the best thing for her, because in Lady uh, Margaret's household uh, there were quite a few uh, wards. And uh, there was a lot of education. There were tutors and there was a fantastic library. And Joan was a child prodigy in that way. She she already spoke Italian and French. She was rapidly learning English and she also spoke Latin. So there were very, very few women in England at that time who did anything more than speak English or some French because French was sort of running out as a, as a court language at at this time, um, so she she really um, blossomed in in this atmosphere in Lady Margaret's house, uh, and I think that was her her doing really. I mean, that made her a, a, a very very good uh, court uh, lady later. That's so helpful because I did have a question about how she ended up a ward of Margaret Beaufort. And I don't think that um, it's very clear necessarily that it was because her mother went uh, away with with Queen Marguerite. So that's that's very she, she helpful. She followed Queen Marguerite 
throughout her life. Um, yeah. She was very, very close to Queen Marguerite, although she was younger than her. She, um, Marguerite relied on her a great deal. And she also went, when, when uh, Queen Marguerite was uh, confined in the Tower um, of London uh, by uh, Edward IV, she begged that she should have her friend, who she called Kate, with her um, because that was the one she wanted and Kate couldn't refuse. And later when she was um, actually uh, taken back to France um, because she was ransomed um, and she went back to France where she died late, shortly afterwards, um, and she begged uh, again, Kate to come with her, so which she did. So she was there when Queen Marguerite died. I realize that our our conversation today is not necessarily supposed to focus on Margaret of Anjou, but I I actually do find it very interesting, and I just want to point out here that it's so it is nice to hear her have this friend Kate because I don't think that Margaret of Anjou is necessarily always portrayed as a loving, friendly, warm person in history. I I don't show her as that in the book. She's quite a difficult character. And Kate was was quite, um, I think, was very decent to go with her. But her children and, and, and Joan in particular did chide her. In fact, I have her chiding her in the book, uh, her own mother, you know, for saying that you left us, you know, why did you leave us? And she just tells her, she said, well, you know, you've got to realize that I did you a favor because you had this brilliant education and it's, it hasn't done you any harm. (laughs) So um, that's a nice conversation that goes on in the book. Oh, well, there you go. There's another reason to yeah. to grab right, grab one of the books, at least, because we have uh, two of them, right? Yes, two of them right. about Joan? Yeah. The Lady of the Ravens and the Queen's Lady. So let's talk about that then. Before we move on with Joan, um, we can, you know, well, since, both, since we kind of mentioned the book. Joan, really. but, right. We, and uh, so these are the two books about her. And they are available in the UK and the US. That's right. On Amazon, through HarperCollins, kind of wherever anybody can get the books. Is that is that correct? Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. So you can even get them on, on some things that you can order, you know, online and get free delivery. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. There's our little commercial right in the middle there. <laughs> Everybody grab the two books. So now while Joan was under the care of Margaret Beaufort, when... At what point does she meet her husband or soon-to-be husband? Does she get matched with him? Do they meet on their own? Uh, Do her parents have any involvement in their relationship? Or is this something that Margaret Beaufort coordinates? How? What is the situation around her life when she does move on to get married? Well, she first of all has to become the lady-in-waiting to... Uh, Elizabeth of York. So, of course, that's all going to happen after um, the, the, the uh, reign of Richard III and the Battle of Bosworth, uh, which is when Henry VII stole the throne, if you like. Um, so, okay, let's go back to that then. Instead of talking about her her marriage her just marriage yet, we can until you know after that. Okay. All right. So then we'll we'll scrap the personal life for a second then and come back to that in a minute because. As you said, the Battle of Bosworth played a role in her, I guess, her occupation or her standing. 
because... Well, um, the Battle of Bosworth was the one which put Henry VII uh, on the throne, Henry Tudor, and, and the, the Tudor, this is the beginning, isn't it, of the official Tudor dynasty. Dynasty. <laughs> um, Depends on what country the person you're talking yes. to is from. <laughs> right. Everyone knows what I mean. Um, yes, so uh, the, the Battle of Bosworth um, was, uh, you know, definitive in, in bringing the Tudor dynasty to the throne. And um, when Henry Tudor, exile in France and uh, Brittany for 14 years, came and won that battle, um, he came straight to London uh, and established uh, that he would marry um, Princess Elizabeth of York, who was the daughter of Edward IV, the king who had died uh, before Richard III. So we're talking, you know, kings are flying here and there um, in this period. And um, Joan is, isn't married. She's still single and she's still living with Margaret Beaufort. And she's, she's you know, she's not really wanting to get married at all at this time. Um, and there's no reason for her to do so. So when she um, when she becomes the servant to Elizabeth of York, that is organised by Margaret Beaufort and her son, who is now Henry VII. Because in, in when he was in Brittany uh, a few a couple of years before, he made a vow to marry um, the daughter of Edward IV, uh, who was the sort of um, face of the, the York dynasty, obviously. Um, and so he wanted to bring the Yorks and the Tudors together um, as a, a, a royal family. That was his intention, of course. And a lot of people in England believed that the, the Yorkists should still be on the throne. I mean, they, they uh, didn't really want to accept this Tudor dynasty and uh, they didn't want to accept the fact that Richard III, well, now here I'm going to be controversial, had um, managed to get rid of Edward IV, the, the fifth and his brother Richard, who might have become king or one of one of them would become king if. There it is. This is going to take everything in me to not keep going about this. (laughs) Right. Controversial is an understatement, but yes, proceed. proceed. America. We're quite happy in in England about it. Yeah, is that right? (laughs) So there we are. We've got Joan and she is um, brought down from where she was living um, under Richard III. She was up in Yorkshire and she's brought down to London by Henry. That's one of the first things he orders to happen. And uh, he, she comes to Margaret Beaufort's house, Cold Harbour in London, and um, is installed there with this companion that Margaret provides for her, which happens to be Joan, um, who is, has been her ward for all this time. So that is how Joan became so close to Elizabeth of York. So since she's working with or for Elizabeth of York, then she goes on to become lady, a lady in waiting to her daughters as well. No, she couldn't. She, she's, a, she's a lady in waiting eventually to Elizabeth of York when she becomes queen. But she yes. couldn't be a lady in waiting until she married because 
this was to do with, you know, court protocol, that um, single women uh, were not ladies in waiting. They had to be, uh, they had to be a lady for a, for a start. Um, they could be single if they were the daughter of a maybe a, a duke or an earl, but if if they were, you know, like uh, Joan was, you know, coming up from from the sort of commoners, they there was no way they could become a lady in waiting unless they married somebody who would make them a lady, i.e., a knight. Or aha, uh, so this is where the marriage comes. This in. is where the marriage comes in, and, and Joan, okay. of course, being incredibly intelligent and bright, and realizing that marriage is a very dangerous thing to do, because so many women died in childbirth, and and she was very frightened of of marriage, um, and so she didn't really want to get married. So it, it, it took a couple of years actually to persuade her that she must marry, uh, because. Uh, well, and the Queen persuaded her, Queen Elizabeth, because she wanted her to stay with her and she wanted her to be one of her ladies in waiting. So she and Henry, the King, organized um, the idea of her marrying um, this man, Sir Richard Guilford. Now, his wife had died the year before, and, um, you know, that he had six children. So, you know, it wasn't that an, that easy a sort of um, job for for Joan to do. Um, and Richard Guilford was the king's um, controller of uh, ordnance, and he lived in the Tower of London. And this is what drew me to him, because in the Tower of London are the ravens, <laughs> and I am extremely fond of the ravens. So I wanted to How write about you? the ravens, really, when I wrote this book. That's why it's called the Lady of the Ravens. That's the first book. Um, yeah, and uh, and and so um, she became his wife, and she went to live at the Tower of London, where she also fell in love with the ravens. <laughs> why not? And um, that becomes a sort of theme in the book, which which is is kind of uh, balancing the the idea that the ravens are there to protect the tower and if the ravens are not there the tower will crumble and the, the uh, throne will collapse uh, england will be in dire straits so um that's that's the myth and uh, no pressure on the ravens or anything no, exactly that that's was, quite that's, that's, that's very there. symbolic they still have to have ravens there you know yes yes um to to preserve the English something or other. Anyway, it, it, it's uh, it's a nice story. But um, so she marries him. Um, but there, there is a, in the book there is uh, I make a sort a sort of um, problem for her because a she doesn't want to get married, and b somebody else comes along and wants to marry her as well. And that somebody else is not a very nice knight. But you know at least he's a knight. So she's asked to make this choice between these two men, and she chooses Richard even though he's got six children and she doesn't know anything about bringing up children or, you know, so that's what she does. And uh, she makes a good fist of it. She, she really does. She tries very hard and it, uh, it's lovely though. I mean, I like the, 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 the nice pieces in the book about how she relates to the children and, and, and relates to marriage in general. It's, it's not all about the Kings and Queens. A lot of this is about her and, and her husband who also has to get used to her, and and, and you know, he's quite a lot older than her, having already got six children. Um, so, you know, that, that's a nice theme in the book as well. 
And it's a nice, um, it's a unique aspect, I think, of writing a historical fiction novel that um, is obviously about royalty, but being able to play on some of the themes that um, are not necessarily just kings and queens. Yes, it, it's 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 about people, and not all. They're not all um, glamorous uh, court courtiers. Um, and Joan, in a way, isn't a glamorous courtier. She, she's, she's much too intelligent for that. You know, she really does uh, know how to relate to people and how to, how to speak to people. Um, and and she, there's a lovely picture of her um, that was painted um, by one of the court painters um, of when she goes to, to be governess eventually to the children of the king in Elton Palace, and she is holding little Edmund, who was one of um, the Queen's children who unfortunately died uh, as a very young child. And um, and she has uh, Henry VIII-to-be in the picture. He's in the picture, and, it, and it's all to uh, entertain Erasmus, who was this incredibly intelligent guy who lived in, in Europe, all around Europe, um, but, had, but had visited England and wanted to meet the children of the king and managed to do so. And uh, he got on very well with Henry. Um, and, uh, and also um, he, he registered Joan and he had several long conversations with her and found her obviously not only very intelligent, but, but, but very easy to talk to. And they had long conversations. I don't know what about, obviously, but uh, and I didn't try to, uh, you know, uh, write their conversations. But it, it's nice touch that um, this incredibly intelligent European um, immediately cottoned on to Joan as being something quite special. Yeah, you, t- you took the words right out of my mouth because when you had mentioned her relationships earlier, that was that was something I wanted to make sure to ask you. Now, I don't necessarily know, I mean, maybe you can help us understand when they met each other, but isn't that an unlikely friendship? Um, and it's just so interesting that if you read about Joan, you know, if you start to try to do your own research for the listeners out there who want, who obviously are, are definitely going to look into her after this uh, podcast episode. But when you, when you read about her, Erasmus comes up a lot, having been a close friend of hers and, and having been very special to him. Yes, she, um, I mean, she, how did that happen? Well, she was, she was actually, um, obviously when he met her, um, she was of age to be a governess. I mean, she wasn't a child. She wasn't a young lady even by then. She was, uh, you know, she was still married to, to Richard Guilford, but, um, she, you know, she was quite a, 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 a fine woman. And, um, she'd had had her only child. Uh, she had uh, born a child. Um, to Sir, to Sir Richard, um, and her child, you know, she had to come and go to all the time because she was the governess of these children of the king. Later on, after this, this occasion when Erasmus came to the pal- par- the palace of Elton, um, she, uh, he, uh, he became a friend too of her son Henry. Um, that was obviously when Henry had grown up and, and, and was in actually in Henry VIII's, uh, household, uh, as a prince. And, uh, and that, that was an interesting, because obviously Henry, that Henry was, was rightly intelligent too. 
and there were too many Henrys around. It was terribly complicated. Now, um, Joan is like you, as you said, she's a governess. She's uh, she does eventually become lady in waiting to Margaret and Mary. Can you tell us a little bit about when Mary is sent to marry the King of France? Joan was sent with her, but then dismissed and then recalled again. And what's going on over there? Well, um, Joan, I, um, yes, I'd, I'd kind of like to say that Joan had some experience in handling, um, you know, marriages to young princesses. Um, because she had already um, been to Edinburgh, up to Edinburgh in Scotland with Margaret, Princess Margaret, uh, who was the older daughter of um, King, Hen- uh, King Henry VII. And uh, she and Joan went with her to this marriage. And it was, it was uh, quite an interesting one that the reason I found it very interesting was because she went to, uh, you know, to, to take this princess um, to the King of Scotland, J- uh, James the Fourth, um, who uh, was was not married. He'd never been married, but he was already thirty-two, um, and he had lots of female friends, obviously. And um, you know, Margaret was going to have to cope with this, and and um, Joan had to make it. And she was only thirteen. Joan had to try and, and explain to her, you know, how, how she had to cope with this, how she could cope with this. And, and I found it very fascinating to write, actually, because um, I knew that, you know, when you marry in, in any uh, at this time uh, in history, you weren't considered to be married until the marriage had been consummated. And, you know, her, her mother didn't want her young child to go. You know, queen, the queen um, had not wanted her to go at this young age, but she had died. And King Henry, um, Princess Margaret's father, uh, wanted her as, uh, to, to be married to uh, James IV to uh, settle this treaty, which was a treaty of... Uh, forevermore of peace between Scotland and England. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm doing a, a, a laugh here because it only lasted two years. So, <laughs> and then there was, uh, you know. Forevermore or yes. until the next argument. Until the next time there's a war. <laughs> anyway, um, the, she had to explain, you know, all about um, what she should do uh, after the wedding and and uh, and the king as well she had to handle him because she had promised um queen elizabeth that her her daughter would not be would not have have the marriage consummated and and he, she had made her husband um the king agree to the, to to say that he didn't want it have to happen but he changed his mind after she died very conveniently and um, and he 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 said that it did have to be, and James also wanted it to be consummated. And I don't think it was because you know he couldn't resist having sex with a thirteen-year-old. I think it was because um, you know he he knew the same thing, so he wanted it to do. To, and, and I found a way of explaining it to Margaret that it had to happen, but that she wouldn't then be approached for another two years. 
And it, uh, it was quite difficult to write <laughs> because Margaret wasn't stupid. I can hardly imagine. Yeah, Margaret wasn't stupid and, and she was a bright girl, but she wasn't, you know, she wasn't that beautiful and she wasn't that um, clever, but she was, you know, she knew what she wanted and she wasn't fooled by anyone. And so um, she said when, when I have her say in the book, um, yes, I know all that. Um, that's pri- that's fine. Um, that'll do. And and she just goes away. <laughs> so uh, and it happens, and and that's what that is what happens. And of course, there's no child of that marriage for at least two years. And um, right. Joan says to the king, "Well, if there is a child um, before two years." We'll know that you've broken your word. <laughs> that was Margaret, and that was that was how she had to handle things with the king. And Joan's Joan's um, interaction with her is just—it's all so interesting because she really was there. She was, yes, for was all of it. For the wedding, she she actually there was there and spoke to the king about it at, at, after the wedding, before the consummation. So um, now Mary also desperately wanted Joan to go to France when she was marrying the King of France because, so you know, her brother had really led her in for it. King Henry VIII was on the throne and he wanted um, to make a, a peace treaty with France. And um, actually it was really Wolseley who wanted to make the peace treaty, but um, Henry agreed to go along with it. And um, Joan was asked to do it and she couldn't really refuse. So she went, I mean, she loved Mary. She thought she was a lovely girl and she was very happy to be with her, but uh, she didn't particularly want to carry on being a lady in waiting. She had other plans in her life, <laughs> which are also in the book. Um, so she goes. Ooh, is that a hint so, so that we read the book oh, or are yes, you going to tell us what those that. plans are? We'll get into that if, you, if we have time. Yes, um, yes. But not not just now because he she goes to the king and she you know when after the the, the marriage is consummated, um, she's absolutely heartbroken by by the state of Mary, um, because you know she the the, the bed is uh, I, I I don't go into it in that great amount of detail and won't do here but it was a mess, and um, it was a bloody mess and um, she thought that the king had been, you know, violent with her. And it turned out that because there had been um, uh, uh, storms in the channel when when uh, Mary came across and the wedding couldn't take place um, until she got there, obviously, and um, so it was it was all put off and then it was all very quick and she then the consummation was also, uh, you know, happened unexpectedly, as it were, um, at the wrong time. And, you know, she had uh, got her uh, period. And it wasn't a violent consummation at all. It was her period coming. So, you know, and, and this had to be explained to the king, and it was all very difficult. And then it had to be explained that he couldn't go back and sleep with her the next night and the next night. And, of course, he was desperate to get a child. And and he didn't uh, he didn't want to hold back in in this way. Uh, he wanted he wanted to get a, an heir because he didn't have one. He only had two princesses, and he needed desperately to get a prince before he got too old. So and he was fifty 
four or something. So he was old. I mean, poor Mary was only 18. It was a, too big a, a gap, really. And he didn't like Joan <laughs> for this very reason, because he blamed her for the fact that he couldn't do what he liked when when she was there. You know, she organized whatever she did, was doing, she organized. She was too bossy, in other words. And that didn't Yes. Well, good for her for stepping in, though. Yeah. I think that's a good time to uh, speak up. <laughs> So we've done Mary and we've done Margaret. So that's that's the two princesses that she she uh, helped to get married, and then of course um, King Louis of France uh, didn't last very long. I mean, he got married in uh, was it November or I think it was November by the time they got there, um, and he uh, died in January. So he didn't he didn't get a, a an heir, and he uh, he didn't get much really. Right. So then was Joan involved in Mary's uh, marriage to Charles Brandon as well? I don't think so. I, I certainly don't. I haven't read anything about about her being involved in that. They were good friends, um, Mary. And, and Mary, you know, she helped with all her trousseaus and her marriage things. But um, I think I'm not sure whether or not she approved of this marriage to, to Brandon. Um, certainly Henry didn't. And, and in fact, it was a very naughty thing to do. Mary was, but Mary was a bit like that. She was, you know, a bit naughty and, um, and did the wrong thing and married this man, uh, Henry Brandon, because she loved him. I mean, he was very, I don't know why she loved him because I had seen the portraits. He didn't look terribly handsome to me, but still she obviously, he obviously had something that she wanted. And so uh, she must married. have been the charm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and they, but they were happily married, um, whatever he was doing when they wasn't in the same house. But, you know, he, it was interesting. Um, I, I don't think she had anything to do with that marriage. Well, then before I move on to my next question from our listeners, I'm going to, uh, see if we can put you on the hot seat then you had mentioned just a couple minutes ago something about her her plans you hinted at that yes she had a plan because um i you know it's going to give it away but um sir richard dies i'm not going to say how or why but he dies and okay i won't ask any questions about that leaves her read widow. The um he was older than her but i mean you know he died leaves her a widow and um there is somebody else who 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 loves her, who has fallen in love with her um, before she's uh, before Henry, Sir Richard dies, and um, he is he is uh, he's she's known him for some time, and he is sixteen years younger than her, and this is um, she finds this difficult, um, and she won't marry him, even when you know she says I won't marry you even even if you ask me. <laughs> But in fact, no, don't bother. <laughs> um, they do marry, and uh, he's a lovely guy, and he's the man who tried to save Sir Richard from um, King Henry the Seventh's um, nasty man Dudley. Anyway, we won't go into that because that's somebody else's. Aha, uh-huh, that's some. Okay, okay. Now, just just to make sure we're clear here, this is not the same person. I know in the beginning of our conversation, you had mentioned that she kind of chose between two oh, men yes, to no. marry, and she ended up choosing. It's not, it's not him, him, right? No, he, he's, not him. he's not very nice. No, this, gotcha. this is a okay. charming and very nice and handsome young man uh, called Anthony Coins. 
who good um, for her, has good been, for Joan, it's good for Joan. Um, he has been one of Sir Richard's squires, you know, because every knight has a, a sort of cohort of squires um, who want to be knights themselves. And he, uh, Annette Coins, has been as from the age of thirteen one of uh, Sir, uh, Sir Richard's squires. And he, uh, you know, he goes on to become a, a, fight, a fight in a, in a battle. And Joan actually does save his life by treating a wound that he gets. And that's all, that all covered in the book. Um, so he has a great deal to be thankful to her for. And she doesn't think that's the case, you know. Cliffhanger. She just says, you know, no, no, this is ridiculous. So this all, but but then eventually, um, when she's uh, when maybe a year or two after Sir Richard has died, um, she is looking after the princesses at Eltham, and he comes to see her. His wife has also died. Now he was married, so he couldn't um, actually get married until she died, which she did, having um, a child, which was very sad. But he didn't get on with her. He, she was not an easy woman, and um, this this is all carried on in the book. Um, so this gradually builds up to the time when he comes to Elton Palace to see her, and um, she says, "I don't want to see you." Um, but he does see her. They do see each other, and they speak, and and they end up going to bed. <laughs> Um, but it's all, you know. To put it mildly. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, that's what happened because, it, it, in fact, you know, they did love each other very much. And that, so, the, so that eventually, you know, she says to him, because he's a lawyer, um, she says, we must get married in a church quickly. And he said, excuse me, but in law, once a marriage, once we, a marriage is consummated, it's a marriage. So that's, so we are married, whether you want to get married or not. So she thought that was quite a good good argument, and uh, but they did get married in church. In fact, after that, and you know that she was happy. She was violently happy with him. I mean, they were they were happy together. It was a very very happy marriage, and that that you know that's uh, the reason I know this is because um, Anthony Poins uh, was the son of uh, of a, a beautiful lady called Lady Margaret, and she was the daughter of Anthony Woodville who was one of Queen Elizabeth Woodville's brothers. She, she, and then the Woodvilles were all beautiful, and she was extremely beautiful, and her name was Margaret. Oh, another Margaret. And um, she, she uh, lived with her husband, who in this lovely old house, this is just down the road from me, <laughs> and it's a beautiful Tudor house um, in red brick. And um, I wanted to get it into my books. But um, yeah, it's really it's just on the road from you where you live yes. now. But, oh my goodness! But, but in fact, I wanted to get it into my books uh, because it's a lovely house, and I hadn't realized that Anthony Poins had lived there, and he actually inherited it from his father when he died. And he and Joan spent their married life and in this house. So um, and and he is buried in the church in the nearby t- uh, village. So you know, to me, that's a nice ending. <laughs> I agree. So okay, now I'm happy that you said that she had been happy for all those years with her next husband because my next question is actually it 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 is a serious one that she seems to have played 
somewhat of a large role in the uh, the king's great matter when it comes to uh, King Henry VIII when he's looking for an annulment from Catherine of Aragon. But that is kind of a big jump uh, in years. So before I before we go into her deposition, as far as the king's great matter goes, what has she been doing in between? You know, helping helping her her two princesses get married and start their lives. And then all of a sudden we fast forward many years to Henry and his divorce. So is is there anything happening where she's just kind of strolling along every day, super happy with this young guy she married and there's no drama happening so we don't have to hear anything? No, 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 no. <laughs> she does lots of things. She is involved with um, Catherine of Aragon. Catherine of Aragon, as everybody knows, I'm sure, was married to Arthur, the first prince of Wales, uh, of, of Henry, uh, you know, Henry VII's eldest son, who sadly died very soon after they married. And she was left um, sort of dangling, really, not knowing what, nobody knew what to do with her much. And, uh, and it was very difficult for her. And she had a very miserable time. But she eventually, through another, um, actually, through Anthony Poins's father, who was her, um, no, what was his name? Uh, he had a title. Um, he was one of her courtiers are high up in, in her court. And he organized all her finances and that sort of thing. It wasn't an easy job. Uh, before This is before she married Henry VIII. And, um, and, and there, there were secret meetings going on between Henry and, and um, Catherine, um, which nobody knew about except him. And um, he told Joan about it and said she th- he thought she would benefit from her friendship. And he wanted her to go and meet her and, and you know, uh, try and teach her some English because she didn't speak, really speak much English at all. So she did. She went and, um, and helped her with her English and, uh, and, you know, just generally, um, tried to cheer her up a bit. And then, of course, she was cheered up when Henry, um, Prince Henry came across the river from his palace. Uh, where he was training his um, his men for his uh, big tournament, which he was to have as Prince of Wales, and um, so he's he's not uh, he's not married and he's not king yet. So he's he but he does um, fancy Catherine. Eventually, of course, as everybody knows, they did marry. Yeah, that was fine. And uh, after that, uh, Joan retired and went away. But it was it was a nice sort of incident in her life that she had these meetings with Catherine of Aragon and made a friendship with her and taught her English. So interesting to know that she played such a big role in Catherine's in Catherine's yes, and life. She also really her is one of you know those. Catherine and Henry were uh, were first married in at Greenwich Palace privately, uh, and, and they uh, she she had Catherine asked. Um, Joan, if she would come and help her with her clothing, and you know she she had a beautiful dress, and she got married in the chapel. But it wasn't a big royal wedding; it was just a you know a, a quite a simple affair. If you can ever have a simple royal affair with Henry VIII, which was about the the the, the simplest that he ever got. So uh, <laughs> it, it, it he he was young; he was only eighteen, and she was twenty one or two, and. Um, you know, it was it was a nice marriage, uh, and it, they were very much in love. I mean, it was it was a lovely marriage to start with. You know, and uh, Joan was part of that. 
to start with. But then we come <laughs> to Anne Boleyn's, I don't want to say her, her, uh, her home wrecking, but kind of. Yeah. So now Jane makes, or sorry, Joan, Joan makes the uh, a deposition saying that Arthur and Catherine of Aragon did consummate their marriage. Yes. Um, right. So now why do you think that she, because if she was close with Catherine, do you think that she really believed this and she was just trying to tell the truth and help out? Do you think she felt pressure who, to say that from Henry? Who, who are we talking about here, Anne? Or oh, Joan. 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 Um, well, Joan was in the household of uh, Arthur when he and uh, Catherine of Aragon married. Um, but she wasn't in the intimate circle of, uh, you know, being in the room when they went to bed or anything like that. She was, you know, she was one of the of the wait ladies in waiting, and she helped um, Catherine with her things. But she didn't actually ever go into the marriage chamber, and so you know, she was, uh, and she wasn't terribly fond of Anne Boleyn, I have to say. So she she wasn't able to uh, confirm anything about um, the marriage, and neither um, was her son Henry. Henry, who was in. Um, one of King Henry VIII's, her son Hal, who she called Hal Henry, was um, uh, in Henry VIII's household, um, and he wasn't closely involved either uh, because at the time, as he said in his uh, answer to their questions, I was 12 and <laughs> I didn't really know what was going on. So he, was, he got away with it and uh, she got away with it too. They didn't have to say anything in the end. Okay, so then, so then she did not come out and officially say that they had consummated it. Is that no. is that right? No, she. Okay, as far as I'm concerned, I don't. I don't think she could have done. I mean, because she wasn't. She wasn't there. She wasn't there when he walked out and said, "This night I have been in Spain," or whatever it was. So she didn't hear it. So she couldn't say that she had. Well, that definitely clarifies that because I think that was something that you can find. I mean, really, if you search the internet, right, you can find pretty much anything oh, yes. that you want. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's was actually very helpful about it. But she didn't ever confirm that there was any consummation. We are coming to a close, but I do want to talk about her death because, specifically, if you if you have heard kind of my talks before on the podcast, you'll know that I I'm always partial to these women who might not necessarily be well known at the beginning of the conversation, but then by the end, she's had this, you know, great life where she lived so long and has been in every involved in all these different affairs and different, uh, and by affairs, I don't mean relationships. I mean, uh, dramatic, you know, situations. Yeah. Um, and she actually, Joan in particular has, was, involved in all these different queens lives and the king's lives and she was a real um solid figure in a lot of in a lot of um what was happening back then so she ended up living to be 75 does that sound right to you Joanna? um 78 i think 78 yeah. see there you go which is i mean very unusual for the time. It was, yes, it was. I mean, so what did she die of? Well, that we don't know. 
that we don't know. She had married Anthony Poins and was living in uh, the Bristol area where his house is and um, is and was. Uh, and she, she um, couldn't be the, the lady of the house because he died before her, funnily enough. I mean, I don't know what he died of either, but but uh, he died um, quite a few years before her. She then decided to enter um, this small, uh, it, it's, it's more or less like a, a hospice in, in Bristol itself. <clears throat> and that's eventually where she died. Um, and, you know, that's where she's she's buried. And so she outlived him and her son. Yes. Is that correct? Not, she- not her son. No, this is not her son. This is her, her husband, her second husband she outlived. Right. Uh, but her but her child, I think. She had one Yes, she had, one child. She had Hal, yes. Was he still alive? No, he died as well. Oh, he died yeah. too. Right. I'm not oh, sure if he oh, didn't goodness. die of the sweat or something. I it, I didn't gather what he died of. Oh, I, I you know, it was a sudden death, I think. Um he was living in Leeds Castle. Oh, that's another story. We won't go into that. <laughs> There's just so much to cover. Yeah, so, so much, much to, cover. to cover. They were all they were so involved with this royal family and, and, and everybody around it. That it. It's really interesting. Before she died, of course, this was in, in um, 1538. So we're talking about, you know, the, the whole Anne Boleyn thing and also, you know, the Reformation and, and, and the uh, closing of the monasteries. And she was living in this hospice, which was run by monks. And she wrote a letter to Henry more or less begging him not to um, close down this hospice, please, because I'm here and I want to die here. <laughs> sort of more or less. Oh, John. Yeah. And, and he didn't. He did later. Oh, he didn't. And that did is later. just a great testament to what kind of a relationship she built with all of these yeah, people. Well, what kind of That's actually very interesting to well, I think that we really could go on about her for hours and hours and hours, but we this feels like a good time to wrap things up. But before I let you go, um, I know that we've mentioned the books already, but just to reiterate, the books about Joan are called The Lady of the Ravens is the first book and then The Queen's Lady. Now, if any of our listeners have any more questions for you or want to interact with you, I do want to mention that Joanna is on Twitter. Can you let us know what your Twitter handle is? Yes, it's at Joanna Hickson. Perfect. Thank you, Joanna. Well, thank you so much to our guest today, Joanna Hickson. To our listeners who wrote in with questions, we could not do it without you. And to everyone listening to this week's episode. As always, we appreciate your support and hope you'll tune in again next time as we continue to ask our experts the pressing questions that you want answered. And if you love the Tudors Dynasty podcast and want to show even more support, please consider becoming a patron where you'll not only receive the great content we offer now, but extra insider research, info, prizes, and other exciting opportunities only offered by subscribing. Until next time, I'm Steph Storer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.